it slices, it dices, it makes all your dreams come true. The Creators Collective provides information not only on woodworking, but metalworking, leather, electronics and more. But that's not all. It also comes with three hosts to answer all your creating questions. Now, listen along as James Wright, Zach Herberholtz and William Walker fumble through answering your questions live each Thursday morning. Listen in now and you can have this amazing podcast for the simple monthly installment of a Patreon subscription. But we're just getting started. And we're back for another Creators Collective. It's good to have you all here. This week is going to be a special one as we have a uh, special guest. That's what makes it special. <laughs> Not the fact that the, the three of us aren't special. Did you just call me special? <laughs> <laughs> So we have uh, Shannon Rogers from the the Hand Tool School. Or uh, do you prefer the Hand Tool School or, uh, or Resonance? Um, probably the Hand Tool School makes the most sense. You know, that's the one that actually makes me money. So I suppose <laughs> 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 probably should be from there. But yeah, you know, Renaissance Woodworker is the brand that's been around the longest. Um, and and in fact, the actual official business name is a mouthful. It's the Renaissance Woodworker Hand Tool School. Like according to the IRS, wow. it's the Renaissance Woodworker Hand Tool School. I it's don't not know that how bad. that happened, but yeah. And cool. co-host of Wood Talk. Yeah, that too. Yes. Yeah. So if anyone in the live chat has questions for Shannon, um, go ahead and throw those in there. We'll try and get to them. But uh, we are, we're, we're taking over, hand tools are taking over this podcast today. So it should be a, a fun one. <laughs> you want me to talk about my planer? I could do that. Oh yeah, there you go. I was gonna say, Shannon, you actually are more of a, a hybrid guy. You've got actual machines in your shop. You're not as as much of a purist as James is. I have a machine, a, a machine, <laughs> but it's a, a big machine. machine so, <laughs> don't you have a power lathe too? Oh, uh, I do, but it, it it it's only because I never got rid of it, and I'm glad I didn't. Because when the lathe, the foot pedal lathe broke on me, it was nice to have the the old pull the old jet out to finish up my Christmas gifts. So. Yeah, it's actually still here in the shop, but it's over on the floor because I've been too lazy to move it out of the shop. What were the uh, what were the Christmas gifts you made on that thing? Oh, just a bunch of uh, um, like turning project type stuff. I made um, pepper pepper mills. I made a whole bunch of pens. Uh, made some cutlery, um, like kitchen spatulas and cutlery and stuff like that oh, with cool. handles, and turned a couple screwdrivers and things. And huh. yeah, just. Lots I'm uh I, I've recently acquired a lathe and I'm sort of getting my uh bearings on it, so I'm always curious to see what other people are doing on it. Yeah. Zach, it have you turned a bowl yet? Not yet. Um I I don't know exactly like I said it's it's kind of a whole new discipline. I mean you can you can know so much about woodworking and stuff and buy a lathe and feel like a total idiot if you don't know what you're doing. Like <laughs> there's like four hundred different like chucks and mandrels and <laughs> like just so many so many different things to where if, you, if you're not familiar with it it's hard to it's yeah. hard to know what you need for a project so it's like, its own niche within woodworking yeah. it's got its own you know there are people that do nothing but turn and you know because of that there are whole manufacturers there are whole retailers that do nothing but turning supplies yeah know, yeah chucks and things like that but so for yeah. a bowl um like you don't need I mean, you could do it. All I have right now, which which are great for what I'm doing, are the the a set of the easy woodworking tools, mm -hmm. the carbides, okay. and uh, that's great for me, kind of figuring out what I'm doing. And I've, I've turned some pens and just some other small, you know, 
practice things. But uh, if I wanted to turn a bowl, because um, I think I just have the spur drive and then like the point thing on the live center. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just probably what just need a chuck and that's yeah that's about it, huh? Right? Or I mean, <clears throat> I suppose it, the lathe probably came with a faceplate, didn't it? It did. Yeah. Yeah. So you could do it with that. You yeah. can certainly. Well, I mean. Traditionally, you would screw the faceplate on to what would eventually be the inside of the bowl. Um, oh, wow. And you'll turn the outside of the bowl while it's screwed to the faceplate. Um, and then that allows you to turn a little tenon on the bottom of the bowl. Then you flip it around and you you clamp the tenon in your chuck, and then you can hollow it. So, okay. Um, because a, so, most most jaws of chucks aren't big enough to to hold the whole diameter of a bowl. So you got to turn the, the outside somehow, right? Oh. Um, you could do so, that between centers if you wanted, though. Alternatively, if you get a chuck, the way that I like to do it is, and there's a debate in the wood turning community over what's better, a tenon or a recess. I like to turn to the recess just because it's easier to clean up. Um, no, I'm, I'm with you. The dovetailed recess, and it looks cool, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you, you and, can do and it makes your design. bowl sit. Yeah, and it makes your bowl sit flat yeah. once you're done. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, so you, you, and I use a wormwood screw in the chuck to turn the outside of the bowl, mm-hmm. turn a recess, a dovetailed recess on the bottom of the bowl, then flip it around and it, expand the jaws into that recess and okay. hold the bottom of the bowl and then hollow out the inside. So how long would it take? How long does would it take you to turn? I don't know. Well, like a eight inch diameter bowl these days. Now that you know what you're doing. I can probably turn one in about 30 minutes, but wow. it used to take me about two hours. Yeah. That's probably That's crazy. Right. I bet my first time I did it, I'd, I'd probably screw it up and it would probably take me five hours. And then the next time <laughs> it's, it's, it's just the way it goes. You know, it's, it's a really, um, I liken wood turning to being kind of this great educational experience because it forces you to work across the grain. Um, and it forces you to pay really close attention to the presentation angle of your tools. Now, with an easy wood tool or any carbide um, tool like that, you can kind of skip that, which don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of those tools. They're, they're great for the people who don't turn all that often and can still turn good stuff. But bowls, man, you're going against the grain, with the grain, across the grain, all in the course of one rotation. So learning how to skew the tool and get a good clean finish across the end grain is something that it really it teaches you a lot about wood and it teaches you a lot about like the physics of how blade interacts with wood fibers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, Look at it as an educational experience and then that two hours will be all worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it's like a condensed learning curve of everything else. I feel like you, you know, you screw things up at first and, yeah. <laughs> and you're running uphill, but it seems like it's not quite as it's a very steep learning curve it seems like once you once you get over it it yeah you know well you know honestly and since i think james is counting on me to guide this whole conversation into hand tools more <laughs> um, honestly if you want to learn to turn a bowl the best way to do it is on a pole lathe i kid you not the the like one revolution per minute speed, you know, three revolutions per minute. I mean, you can really slow down and actually see how the tool is interacting with wood and watch the shape of the shaving come off. And that gets you kind of, okay, that's right. That, that feels good. That looks good. That sounds good. Now pick up the pace and, and remember how I was holding the tool and remember what that shaving looks like. And you can instantly go from not moving to, you know, I figure I can pull about 
400 RPM on my pole lathe, um, but you can instantly start and stop and see what you did and what you screwed up, what you did good on. Um, you get so much more feedback on the tool and the lathe itself. Um, I, I love turning bowls on a pole lathe. Um, and there's an example where you're essentially turning between centers. You've got a mandrel that the cord, the drive cord is wrapped around and there's spurs on the mandrel into your bowl. And you're essentially hollowing out and leaving this little piece in the center that you're eventually going to just turn to the point where it breaks away. And then you come in with a knife and clean it up. Um, it's, it's a totally different experience, much more than I would say turning on like a foot powered flywheel lathe. Uh, the reciprocal action of a pole lathe gives you so much more feedback. It's a great way to learn to turn a bowl. It also <laughs> balances out the, like a, if you're using a skew because you can ride the bevel a lot easier with it in the reverse, in the reverse spin. Yeah, absolutely. It teaches you to hold it in that angle. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you played with uh, hook tools yet, James? <laughs> I have not. It's on my list. Oh, you got to do it. It's so much fun. <laughs> and, and, and if you've done a lot of traditional turning on a power lathe, it will mm. freak you out because you're turning below the tool rest. <laughs> yes. Tool down and turning below the center of rotation. It's like everything, every safety tip everyone has ever told you about turning with a lathe is don't drop below the tool rest. And you're doing it the whole time. In order to make it work, you're actually dropping the tool down, but you just get these, these just incredible shavings and the sound of it is just awesome. It's a great experience. Hmm. That's high on my list. Now, one of the things that I, that I didn't mind, I accidentally, um, I can't move the rest all the way up against if I'm doing like a, a pin turning um, a blank. Um, it's about an inch and a half away from the pin turning blank. And the first, time I, the first time I saw that, I was like, <gasps> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like freaking out. I'm going to be catching this. And now I found that I always move it about an inch and a half away so I can have my fingers over the, the rest and have my fingers between the rest and the work. And yeah, now that was something that would have like totally freaked me out. But with yeah. this, it's like, this is comfortable. I like this. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's something to be said. I mean, you can get a lot of torque out of a pole lathe, but we are still talking about one fifteenth horsepower. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's <laughs> well, that and it, when it, when it catches, it just stops. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I always like to wear long sleeves just to keep my fingers warm when I'm holding them over the tool rest. <laughs> it sounds like a tear. <laughs> <laughs> your hair up in a ponytail and throw it over your shoulder towards the yeah. front, you know, yeah. lean forward a little bit, yeah. brush off the lots dust of, with the lots, ponytail. Lots of loose yeah. jewelry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Every turning video that I do, if I ever do a turning video uh, and I don't take my wedding ring or my watch off, like the comments just, you know, oh my God, you're going to lose every finger. And and I can't imagine how my watch would catch because I can't imagine a scenario where I would be putting my wrist like right next to the check. <laughs> I mean, I get, I, I get the fingers, but like the mechanics of like putting my wrist in it, like I don't, I know they're right, but. Well, see, Safety when, when your wedding when your wedding ring catches, it's going to pull in your arm, and then your watch is going to catch, and it's going to pull uh, it further. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the the second round of maiming. That <laughs> <laughs> it's a two, two stage process, right? So, I, you know, I think there's an episode just... of Wood Talk. The show title will now be the second round of maiming. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I feel like there's just like this revolving, uh, you know, group of of. Um, you know, like OSHA people that just, they just, they, they punch in at 8 a.m. and just go to work and yes. find anything that, that could possibly lead to a uh, meeting. Yeah. Immediately, immediately that doesn't work because OSHA and punching in at 8 a.m., not so much. No. <laughs> I, I've, I've dealt with OSHA inspectors at the lumber yard a lot. Believe oh. me, they're not punching in at 8 a.m. <laughs> 
These are government people. Come on. Uh, what do you say we jump into uh, what's on the bench? Uh, Zach, you're first. Um, let's see. And sorry, so, Shannon, we just stole what's on the bench straight from Wood Talk. Yeah, I know. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be billing you. So it's uh, it's tax time. So I've been uh, met with the CPA oh. last week. This is really exciting. Um, figuring out uh, this is the first year I've run a successful business. <laughs> so um, figuring out how to file everything, we just decided to meet with somebody. So that it's it's kind of been, um, you know, the first couple weeks of January are kind of when I get to clean my slate off and, and kind of start over. So I'm just trying to tie up all the loose ends, figure out my tax stuff. Um, I do have a video coming out where I do some, uh, I forged some blacksmith roses, which I did a, about a year and a half ago. But uh, I changed them up a little bit, and I also kind of uh, cut out, and I have kind of a unique silhouette uh, vase that I'm putting them in that I forged a texture on them. I have those on some some kind that of hint. Seriously sweet. Thanks. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting. I, I didn't exactly know how I was going to do it. It's it was one of those projects where I kind of had like the rough idea in my mind, but as I'm building it, I you know, sit across the shop. I'm like, Hmm, like, how can I make this better? <laughs> like, how can I make it interesting? So, um, I have some hints of that on my Instagram. Hopefully I'll have that one out, uh, this coming week. Uh, also been working on my 61 Apache truck and I finally got it ready for paint. And then the temperature dropped down to about 40 degrees. So, as soon as it gets warm back up, I'm going to shoot the blocks on that and put that video out. So that's that's kind of what I'm what I've been working on the past few weeks. How about you guys? Will? Oh, uh, well, I just put out a video on a live edge marking gauge that I made from a little tiny uh, white oak burl uh, with a curly maple beam and a brass pin. Uh, and that's and it's the the English style uh, with the wedge instead of the like the thumb screw. Yeah. Um, I guess you could also call it a kabiki, the Japanese marking gauge. Um, that, is that is that what it's called? Yeah, kabuki is a type of theater that is naughty. <laughs> no, 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 kabiki, kabiki, K E B I K. Oh, okay, okay, okay. No, you're right. You're right. I love how you knew that. <laughs> I, I wanted it to be kabuki, basically. So, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Projected. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, and then that video is being really well received, uh, and that was kind of born from this live edge vanity build I'm doing out of some pretty crappy uh, cherry slabs that are really vitted and like the the checks go almost to the like from end to end so before i can even mill the slabs flat i have to stabilize the checks with uh like giant bow ties um but the i tried to talk the client into letting me get some new slabs that were in better shape but they came up these came off of his property and they had sentimental value and he said no i really want to use these and so yeah. I'm trying to get creative with that, um, but it's a pretty challenging build. Uh, so yeah, that's what's on my bench. How about you, James? Looking forward to seeing those things filled. Those are really cool slabs. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess I have, work the, with cool. I, I, I have the beholder. I guess. <laughs> cool. 
Well, I've been uh, finishing my uh, side table, and I'm actually I'm, I'm here. I should probably be wearing a respirator right now. I've got the, the fan on the other end of the shop running, trying to um, dry it off. But <laughs> it's uh, um, I, uh, I'm in love with this thing. Uh, it really came out far better than I expected. I wanted to challenge myself to build a side table without using any glue or hardware and make it completely out of white oak. And uh, yeah, it came out. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I was thinking about your through tenon, stubbed tenon design and the latest Wood Magazine uh, has an article about uh, haunched tenons. And I was thinking you could call it a haunched through tenon. <laughs> I haven't I haven't figured out what to call those, but I don't know. Kabuki tenons. Yeah. Yes. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Shannon? Let, let, that, let it be known from this day forward, those are called kabuki tenons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just for the sidelong glances we get when you when you take your work to Japan. Just and just for the search, the searchability of it, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, because there are because thing. what woodworking really needs are more sexual innuendos because yeah. there are not enough. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. <laughs> well, let's see. What do I got going on? Um, I uh, did some sawed up some veneer uh, just last week. I actually kind of did it over a couple shop sessions. I was talking about this on Wood Talk. It was this piece of really figured like bird's eye quilted curly redwood that I've been hanging <laughs> on to for God, 20 years, maybe, maybe not that long, but um, it was always that, that wood is like, I want to save it for the perfect project. And then I started thinking, well, this is, this is going to turn into veneer. There's no way I'm going to, you know, use this in it's solid form. So I decided to finally saw it into veneer to use it for this tea box. I want to build for my father-in-law and as is to be expected, even with shops on veneer, the stuff is, it's a heavy 16th, um, but it's still like wanting to potato chip and go nuts on me. So uh, I bought um, some of that veneer conditioner. And of course, I read all these recipes for making your own stuff online. And I was just like, you know, and I'm just going to pay the $12 and buy a quart of it. <laughs> In the end, it was just easier. Um, so, I, you know, I went to Joe Woodworker and bought the uh, the veneer conditioning stuff. And it is really cool. I, I've, hmm. I've always heard about it, but I'd never had really a chance to use it. Um, and what was really very brittle, I mean, redwood itself is, is, is so soft to begin with, but with so much going on in the grain, you just, you, you look at it wrong and it wants to crack because of course it's, you know, 1% moisture in the shop right now because it's been so cold. Um, but once you put this veneer conditioner on, it turns it into this very kind of almost soft, supple feeling speaking hmm. of innuendo um <laughs> veneer and, it, and it's really pliable and you can work with it now <clears throat> i knew phil what full well going into this that it's something you're supposed to condition and then use it right away because the um um i was just going to say glycogen it's not glycogen that's in our muscles what's the stuff glycerin glycerin <laughs> glycogen glycerin uh, <laughs> one's explosive one's not yeah one of the two but the, the the glycerin based of this, you know, obviously will eventually dry out and evaporate, I guess. So um, once you condition the veneer, if you just leave it in like two weeks, it's not going to be conditioned anymore. So it's one of those things where you have to do it and then put it to work. Well, I'm not there yet because I have to set this project aside and go on to some other stuff that actually makes me money. So go figure. Um, so I knew full well that I was going to have to redo these particular slices again, but it was just, it was really affirming to know that 
it works, it works. <laughs> and and it will be so much easier to work with this stuff when when it's a condition like that. So how does a hand tool woodworker cut cut uh, veneer with a handsaw? Really? You can get that. Yeah. It seemed, oh heck yeah. That's yeah. It's impressive. Um, well, I mean it it was yeah, I'd, I'd say it was probably 3:30 seconds um thickness. That's, uh, but yeah, that's I used pretty... my um 4 foot frame saw for that. Jeez, I didn't know you could get that. Uh, I mean, I can't even like cut butter without the knife pushing out at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the the difficulty is um, the you know the veneer itself, the the offcut piece, the thin piece will will kind of bow out, um, and it can be. I eventually, as I got about halfway down, this it was only a thirty six inch long piece. But I took a spring clamp and just clamped the veneer the up the top just to keep it from flapping out yeah. on me. Um, but for the most part, if the saw is, is set properly, it's not going to want to pull one way or the other. Um, just you know, despite how little pushback it has on one side. But um, don't get me wrong, I was I was subconsciously leaning into the main part of the block as I was sawing because I was worried that it, it would do that. But um, yeah, n normally I, I usually shoot for about an eighth of an inch. I was really trying to get as much yield out of this block as possible which so do you i mean does it does it come out clean and how do you surface it after that uh with a toothing plane oh okay i've got a, a vintage toothing plane that just kind of levels and flattens the surface but at the same time you know it's not it's not about cleaning it up because i'm toothing it I'm, I'm giving it a little bit of bite to it mm -hmm. um the outer surface um i'll use a smoothing plane on that once i have um glued it onto the project. So. Hmm. And one of the so, things that surprises a lot of people about that particular type of thing with, with a handsaw is most people have tried a handsaw and tried to follow a line a couple times and have failed. And it kind of taints the rest of your view of how what you can do with a handsaw. But once you've you've done it enough and you get your body mechanics right and you, you get that motion locked into your body and your body knows how to do it, uh, it's amazing how accurate you can actually be with a handsaw. It's yeah. it's not as difficult. What you discover is it's amazing how much we get in the way. You know, yeah, saw, yeah. I mean, well, we're assuming a well-tuned saw here, a well-set saw, but the saw wants to saw straight. Yeah. It's it's the error between you know elbow and and handle that <laughs> causes issues. <laughs> you know, it's it's all human error, and we're constantly trying to push it harder. I mean, that's the one thing with this four-foot resaw. You don't push this thing. You just let it do its job. If you try to push it, it will jam on you because it's got three teeth per inch. Big, big honking teeth that will, you know, will stutter on you. Yeah, like that. Uh, makes just that noise, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, you end up you end up sawing. I, I equate it to sawing from my ankles because I'm just like <laughs> holding my arms steady and I'm just kind of leaning forward, like bending at the Achilles tendon. And that is enough. The weight of just kind of falling forward is enough to get the saw moving. The minute I start trying to push with my arms, the saw starts to vibrate too much, you know, and it's, it's a, it's actually a very Zen thing. Every time I put up a video of resawing, you always get the comments, man, that looks like a lot of work, man, your arms must be huge. And I'm like, I hate to dispel the myth, but I'm not even breathing heavily right now here. I mean, there's really not a lot of effort required to do it. Some patience, um, but at the same time, you use a big enough saw and it will still cut pretty dang fast, hmm. especially through soft redwood. I, I didn't actually time it, but it really, it didn't take long to cut through a 
in eight inch wide, 36 inch long piece, probably 15 minutes, maybe at most. Yeah. I can rip white oak with mine faster than I could on my old table saw. Oh yeah. It's yeah. I mean, and I'm not like, I'm kind of in between. I use hand tools and power tools, but I'm not an X. I'm not to any, you know, your guys' level. It's not even close. Sickness. You can say it. Yes. Sickness. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can say that having watched, having work next to James a couple of times, like every time we're in the same room doing stuff, it blows my mind how fast and efficient he is. It's it's crazy. And I'm not uh, that fast and efficient. <laughs> and I've seen that. Uh, there was a show. I can't remember what it was, but it was a two guy. It was a big like two man, and then there was the well, I don't know what the two man saw for like falling trees, felling trees. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a race, and the the two guys with the two man saw just wrecked the dude with the chainsaw, or the two guys uh, with the chains. Oh, I think I saw that. I thought. I saw something like that. Like there's a competition. Like there's like a there, there's like axe and sawing competitions and like yeah yeah. And I mean I, I mean I'm sure there's a ton of variables. Like but but still, just the fact that it's even a, a close contest, you know, is. Well, the other impressive. thing that that a lot of people don't take into mind is is most people think of hand tools as the set of chisels that were in their dad's garage. Um, and if you've ever tried to work wood with those chisels, it, just, it doesn't do it. Um, they're like hitting framing nails with, and uh, yeah, well, as as you you actually work with with a saw that or the, with any hand tool that has been taken care of and tuned well and and, and sharpened. It's 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 a whole new experience. And that's, most people. I mean, that's. Never get that experience. I think that's the whole thing. Is like people think they know what sharp is until they've actually used something that's sharp. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a good segue in a question that I had for both James and or Shannon um, sharpening. So I'm, I'm pretty proficient with sharpening to uh, like chisels and, and plain irons um, until recently. Uh, my, <laughs> <laughs> it's driving me nuts. So um, my DMT duo sharp, whatever diamond stone um, I've got it's the 600 side and the 1200 side mesh equivalent, whatever that is. Um, and my 600 side is giving me more of a mirrored finish than my 1200 side. And I reached out to DMT and they said, Oh, that's totally normal. Your stone just isn't broken in yet. But I've run, I mean, I mean, like hours and hours and hours on this stone. Uh, have you guys ever experienced anything like that? Absolutely. Yeah, I I, I love it. That's the canned response from DMT. Stone's not broken in yet. It's like, I bought it seven years ago. It's not broken in yet. That's that's level one help desk support right there. It's not broken in yet. So um, I I found that the higher grit DMTs don't actually don't give you as mirror polish um, Mm. as as the the lower grits. And the physics behind that, I have kind of a loose understanding of it, but it all comes down to scratch pattern and the shape of the abrasive itself, what's actually creating that scratch pattern. And the diamond does a a more uniform scratch pattern in the lower grits and the higher grits, you get a little bit more of a scuff, I guess. Um, So you just, it's, it's, you're not getting as mirror, you're not getting a mirror polish, but you are certainly put it this way. You're introducing more scratches. Like they're finer scratches, but there's a wider scratch pattern than you would get on the lower grit. That's my understanding. 
It's probably not accurate, but yeah. So with a so with a water stone, you're cutting with the slurry, and so the the slurry, yeah. it, it's almost like the difference between an oscillating sander and a hand sander, where you're moving in the same rotation back and forth. You know, the difference between a belt sander and a, an orbital sander. Or they put a batch out and had the numbers on the wrong plates. That's what I said. <laughs> That's what I said. And, uh, you know, the, there's the little colored medallions that they put on the side of the stone so you know which side is which. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, there's a mistake in the factory and they put the wrong medallions in. Because I think mentally, I'm looking That's at colorblind. The... <laughs> I am I'm colorblind, too, though. No, the guy on the line is <laughs> oh, okay. No one told him he had to, do, to know the difference between green, blue, and red. <laughs> and they always pick those colors, too. Yeah. Yeah. But even and, even traffic lights. I mean, come on. Uh, so after, gotta be mental. But after stropping, I still feel like the if I go from six hundred to the strop versus twelve hundred to the strop, the six hundred just feels sharper. And I, that's probably totally mental. Well, well, it may also be you're feeling the the burr or the the slightly almost like a, a micro sawtooth edge, which will actually catch more than a perfectly smooth edge. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, that could be possible. I mean, the fact is, if you're finishing off with a strop, you're going to get a good edge. Yeah, um, no matter yeah. what you do. So, I mean, you could you could you know, grind the bevel on the pavement and then hit it with a strop. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Don't do that. <laughs> People are listening and they go, well, I'm going to try that. Hey, that didn't work. But, um, the, the fact of the matter is, is that you're refining that last little bit with the strop. So you're going to get a more durable, more cohesive um, edge, less of a frayed edge. Um, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you want to skip the later grits, I mean, I, I pretty much do everything on my, what is it? Extra, extra fine, which who knows what that is. They're supposedly that's like an 8,000 grit. Who knows? But um, I, I live on that stone and then go to the strop and strop 90% of the time. And then when I go back to the stones, I hit that highest grit um, unless I did something stupid and I've got to actually clean it up or reset a bevel or something like that, in which case I'll go to a grinder and then work my way back up to the 8,000 grit. But I rarely drop below the 8,000 grit anymore. It's just about sharpening more to sharpen less. Yeah. Um, I, I've been keeping my strop next to, so I've been cutting these giant, uh, bow ties, butterflies, Dutchman, whatever you want to call them in these, uh, crazy cherry slabs. Um, and I've just been keeping my strop next to me. And so when I feel my chisel start to get a little dull or it's not cutting as easily, or if I feel like I have to pound on them on the chisel harder, I just take it to the strop real quick and then go back. And that seems to be a pretty quick, efficient way of getting through these. The uh, butterflies. Oh yeah. So yeah, I've got one, two, three, four strops scattered throughout the shop um, <laughs> because you know the the twenty two foot long shop is just too much effort to walk from one to the other to pick up the strop. So I've got one at my joinery bench. I got one hanging on my tool cabinet. One lives on the workbench all the time, and then I've got a flexible one by the sharpening bench for weird stuff. Like, that's that's exactly just... sharpies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, I just bought this. And I'm still going strong. This was like probably eight months ago. I just bought like sixty sharpies and threw them everywhere in the shop. And it's still <laughs> I'm never for the first time in my life. This is the first year I've never been like wanting for a sharpie when I'm in my shop. They're everywhere. <laughs> just um, picturing you walking into the shop with like an armload of sharpies and just throwing them up in the air. There's, there's a video of me doing it. Video on it. He does. He basically I, I opened a box and it's just. 
throwing them everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> all over the place. They're on the floor. They're they're everywhere. Um, but that that actually gave me an idea because I've been like kind of doing a fair amount of leather work in the past couple of months, and I get scraps. Uh, maybe I should start making some uh, like little straw paddles and stuff and selling those for cheap. Do uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know much about like buy them. Yeah, the particulars. Like, does it matter what kind of leather? Like, is veg tan better or is I don't oh, know anything boy. about that. That's, anybody? That's... Anybody know? I literally bought a five pound box of upholstery scraps and put some rubbing compound on a small piece. Uh, yeah, and I I use the the suede side or the nubuck side. I guess it's called. Yeah, right. Um, but I've heard some debate whether which side is better to use. But <laughs> I know from like because yeah. back in the day when I was clean. Wait, shaven, wait, wait! Debate on sharpening? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I, uh, I used to back when I shaved. I I used straight razors and uh, like I got a strap a strop and it's I think cordovan. But there's a there's a lot of different stuff out there. I'm just not sure if yeah. um. Well, you're if West to, you're supposed to strap with fine Corinthian leather. Yeah. If if Western movies have taught me anything, you're supposed to use a belt to sharpen your knife. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. And shave at a 90 degree angle to your face, like they do in all the movies. <laughs> That's right. Or backwards. So I've played with this a fair bit, um, and I've I like industrial leather belting. Works really well. This particular strap, for those of you that can pay attention to the video was made with leather um, belting from McMaster car. It's quite thick. It's a little bit more than an eighth of an inch thick. And I did glue it down to maple block for a hard substrate, but it's got a little bit of give to it and it works really well for curved edges. Um, yeah, it's very much like what you have in your hand. This is a uh, 10 ounce leather. Like this is ridiculous. Yeah. You could, you could like do construction projects with this stuff. <laughs> I think that sounds like a good opportunity to make a video right there. Um, you can That's go a with, good idea. Yeah, build something yeah. out of leather. Um, you can go with a really thin kind of suede stuff, and that's what's wrapped around this paddle. So if you're actually looking at producing a paddle, you can create one with profiled edges. So you know, you've got uh, a round oh. edge. This is the internal connection of a V chisel. If you're stropping the inside of a V gouge, carving gouge, that's what that profile is. So oh. it actually can be really nice, and it's got a fancy little handle on it. This is a That's commercial really cool. one made from butt straps. I bought it at Woodcraft like 10 years ago. Butt straps. Yeah, butt <laughs> straps. Yep. And then the the leather <laughs> du jour that everyone's all excited about because Christopher Schwartz said something about it once. <laughs> it's horse butt. Horse butt leather. Genuine horse butt leather. Butts. And is that from butts? Yes, absolutely. From horse butts. It's really hard stuff. Um, this stuff is really, really thin. Uh, I specifically do not adhere this to anything because I am using both sides. I'm using both the suede kind of rough side and the the smooth side. So I look at this as like one grit and then higher grit. So I'll actually strop on this face, flip it over, swipe a couple more passes on the bevel, flip it over and pull off the burr. And because there's no whatever iron oxide, chromium oxide crayon on the other face, I can actually see that burr, that tiny little wire edge pop off on the backside. And wow. Yeah. I mean, and this thing, it this just lives on my Rubo um, next to me all the time. Um, the other ones 
uh, tend to fall into a little bit more um, specialized uses because they're either softer or because they have that profile to them or whatever. I'm, so you don't I'm, use any compound on that hard side of the leather? No, you could, okay. but to me, um, it's already such a fine grit. Yeah. Um, but I love the fact that I can see the wire edge. That tells what me that I did my job. Leather? You know, if you if you see the wire edge and it comes off, you're sharp. You have reached Euclidean perfection. Um, so I'm like literally taking notes on this because I think it's a good idea for me to make these things. <laughs> um, what what width would you make those? Like, I mean, what's your biggest what's your biggest plain iron that you're ever going to sharpen? Uh, two and a half inches. Two maybe? and a half. So yeah, I'd say make, I'd make, say make three, three inches. inches. Yeah. The number eight's two and a half, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Two and three eighths, isn't it? Three inches. Go three inches. Yeah, three inches is good. And and actually, there was a oh, what's the dude that made the Da Vinci lathe? Stu, guy in Britain. If you Google Da Vinci lathe, you'll see this this great guy in in, in Great Britain that um, he just loves to experiment with stuff. But he was turning straps on his Da Vinci lathe, um, and they're actually rather than it being you know, a flat board like this with a handle, he actually used like a three by three hunk um, okay. and turned that around handle on it. So it was this solid block and he put um, uh, a leather on all four faces. And it was, it was kind of a cool design because it had a fair amount of heft to it. Um, and so you, you could use it as a mallet too. Yeah, you ended up with a bunch <laughs> of different faces and he put like, um, the smooth side on one face, smooth side up on one face, and then the the suede side up on another face. Uh, I never played with them, so I don't know if you know if they were just gimmicky, but it just kind of looked cool. But huh. so, um, so I do have the like profiled edge, though. Um, that that's a nice feature, um, especially if you do any wood carving, because getting to the inside of a V gouge is a nightmare. Huh. Very cool. Do you, are you partial to any particular like uh, compound or the green stuff? Yeah, it's the same. Doesn't matter who makes it. I mean, supposedly there's a difference, but I, I've always just used the green stuff. So I actually I can't even say I'm partial to it because I've never used anything else. Yeah. That's not true. I had some yellow. I somewhere. I used the black stuff, but that's because I had a stick of black stuff when I began woodworking, and I haven't run out of it, so I don't have a reason to get anything exactly, else. Right? Yeah, you buy, you <laughs> buy this big old crayon, and like yeah. I've been through it's a lifetime like, supply. <laughs> quarter inch of the crayon in 10 years so. I, I use it's either uh brown red or green but i don't know because it's some color blind it's it's funny that <laughs> i had this discussion when i was making a knife with like this knife master guy put a video out on it a while ago but we were talking about how like nobody has any idea like how the the mystery of like different compounds and which ones which and Right. There's there's no like there's no meaningful value attached to any of them. It's just colors. Yeah. So, pretty much. So, Zach, are you thinking about making these uh, stropping paddles and then including the compound crayon with it? Yeah. Oh, all right. Stop shop. Everything you need. That's what that's one of the things that's the most frustrating for me is when I buy something and I don't realize that you're supposed to have something else to go with it. <laughs> right. Like that is my ultimate frustration in this community is when you, you buy like a tool or you buy something and you're all excited, you take it out of the box and then you realize that, Oh, I supposed to have this too. And it it's happens like, all the time. I bought a branding iron and it didn't come with a torch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's certain things that are obvious, but uh, like 
honestly, and now now it makes sense now that I've done it. But like when I got the lathe, and I'm overwhelmed by like what kind <laughs> yes. of what of the forty different you know chucks and tools and this and that do I need? And then I'm like, okay, well I'll start out with a pan. Those are easy. And I'm like, oh my god! So you need what? Like all these? You need mandrels and bushings and that's why I haven't turned a pin. <laughs> I know. And and now that you've now that I've done them, like it's not that bad. But when you're new to it and you don't understand how it goes together and like you, you don't really understand the anatomy of <laughs> building a pin. Well, not to uh, mention that every single pin kit has a different bushing. Yeah, yes. slightly they different don't, diameter. It's only a hundredth of an inch smaller, but it's still bushings aren't by size, they're by name. Yeah. You yeah. And, bushings. and they don't have like at least I haven't seen one that says like it should be titled everything you need to build a slimline pen or something <laughs> that has everything that you need, like other than a lathe and tools. But like, you know, you have to you have to kind of like Even do some investigating to figure out like, okay, I want a slimline pen. That means I need a mandrel and slimline bushings and then a pen kit that's you know, it's it's just it's weird. You have to kinda a la, a la carte the whole thing instead of just yeah being able to click a button and have everything. I will, I will say most mandrels do come with seven mil bushings you know, to act as spacers, but that's what you need for a slimline pin is a seven mil bushing. So. Yeah. I, I actually made this one. This is like the first one I made. Um, but uh, do, you, do you guys know what the next size up from the slimline is? I'm curious because these are a little bit. I don't know what they all are. there's so many of them i was gonna say next size up maybe 10 years ago you could say that but now there's so many different pen kits yeah so it used to when i started turning pens it was like the slimline the euro style um, (laughs) mont blanc style pen then there was the cigar pen big fat thing that was kind of it you know and in in the last like five years eight years i mean there must be like you get the penn state industries catalog and there's 40 pages of pen kits yeah, even even at like Woodcraft, like yeah, there's, well, there's the, the rifle action pen and the yeah, that's going really, a little off the rails. There's some really <laughs> dumb ones out there. Like there's some really weird pens out there. Yeah. My my the wife Kabuki. Kabuki. <laughs> uh, uh, no, my my wife has showed interest in it, and we actually I I turned one, then I showed her how to turn one, and then we a couple weeks ago we ended up in a Woodcraft and. And it was, I was actually really excited because she was spending more time looking at stuff in the store than I was. It was the first time this has ever happened to me where I'm in a woodworking store or any, you know, making related store. And my wife was, I was ready to go before she was. That's never happened before. So it was pretty exciting. Yeah, but, my wife uh, likes the acrylic blanks. She likes to go pick out the pretty colored acrylic blanks, the pinks yeah, and greens my, and stuff like my, that. My wife got the same thing um can you turn acrylic i I would imagine you can you can turn that stuff with um like uh carbide tools Mm -hmm. i've just used i've used both high-speed steel works fine too it's actually not nearly as hard i don't know if it's a different formulation if it's not actually acrylic what they use but yeah it's not it's just staticky (laughs) that's the thing the shaving sticks to everything and you come out you're just covered in head to toe and your face shield if you're wearing one is opaque with statically huh. charged acrylic shavings, yeah. It's... Well, with the with the humidity down here, it might not be as bad. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of wives and shop work and stuff, I forgot. And kabuki. Uh, and kabuki. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. The kabuki pen. If you turn it upside down, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna stop you. 
Yeah. Um, but uh, no, my wife wanted to get in the shop. It was pretty cool. She wanted to, uh, so she got a bunch of scarves from different family members um, for Christmas, and she wanted to make a thing to hang the scarves to put in our bedroom. Uh, but she wanted to do it. So I was like, yeah, cool. Just go down to the shop and pick out a piece of wood. And I ordered uh, like 50 shaker pegs from the shaker workshop in Massachusetts. Um, and it was like 15 bucks. Uh, and so she picked out a really cool piece of walnut and did everything herself. And so that was, was kind of cool. Cool. That's awesome. I was, yeah. I see, I don't know. And I don't know anything about turning different woods, but uh, walnut is obviously porous. Um, but cherry, like we did a, a cherry pen. I thought that that turned really well. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that cherry, walnut, maple, um, well, soft maple, uh, they all turn pretty similarly in my experience, but when you get to like oak and ash and things like that, that's when you start like ripping grain out because it's so open and yeah, huh. crazy. But. Yeah, I think that turning can actually be really forgiving. It's a good way to get exposure to a lot of different woods because you can buy, you know, tiny little blanks of some ridiculous exotic that would be $27, $80 a board foot. But you're buying a tiny little block of it. Um, you can get a lot of exposure to it. In the end, it comes down to, you know, sharpness of the tool, presentation of the tool and speed of the lathe. You know, mm -hmm. speed is the great equalizer. If you get a really weird, you know, uh, tear out prone wood just crank it up to 3800 rpms take a light cut and you're generally good so. make sure it's balanced first though yeah <laughs> details i think it's about time for the uh joke of the week because we're uh, actually getting timeline. so uh this joke was one that uh, zach found and uh you want to tell it zach no i'm the worst joke teller <laughs> okay fine <laughs> i bought a dog from a blacksmith this morning Within 10 minutes of getting him home, he made a bolt for the door. <laughs> uh, I like that one. Yeah, I thought that was good. Gotta Damn. love a good maker's dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what you reading, Will? Watching? Uh, I've been watching myself work in the shop. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I've been totally crazy... Uh, I've got all these projects going on. They all have the exact same deadline and everybody wants everything right now. So I haven't been able to watch much of anything lately. Uh, oh, actually, no, I lied. Um, travel feels. You have something on the list. I forgot about that. Um, I've been watching Travel Feels, which uh, the dude is a buddy of Peter McKinnon, um, who is just blowing up on YouTube right now. Um, but it's a camera, it's a cinema, uh, cinematography based channel where it's a lot of uh film tips and editing tips and things like that so um i'm a pretty proficient video editor but i always like to pick up on uh other people's tricks and incorporate them into my videos so travel fields hmm. cool good to know up. well i've been uh watching uh youtube channel pbs space time um <laughs> and i am i'm like a big geeky futurist science person um and this is like so straight up my alley it's like the the cutting edge of science understanding in the universe and um uh, yeah if, if you ever want like 10 15 minutes of total geek out about the edge of the universe type stuff this is definitely a channel for you nice i'm there <laughs> is, is there a restaurant at the end of the universe do we know that yet ah <laughs> uh, so i'll find out <laughs> 
There's a pub at the end of Universe in Portland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Shannon, you got anything? Uh, I have been actually going old school and reading lately. Um, my you sound like Zach. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I kind of, just coming out of the holidays, I, I kind of like went off the grid for a little bit, needed to, to recharge. Um, and honestly, what I am watching on the screen lately is myself in the video editor, because I've just been trying to crank out some stuff for my school. But um, <clears throat> you may have seen, I think it's in March, there's a movie coming out called Ready Player One. Mm -hmm. I read the book probably right after it came out. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to read that again. And it's just awesome. It's just such a fantastic book. What's it about? I've heard a lot about it, but I well, don't know anything it, about it. I'm a child of the 80s. So it is essentially uh, in the, the somewhat near future. We've moved to, you know, virtual reality gaming has taken on like the whole second life idea where you never even have to, to, to leave your house. You know, you have this avatar and you're have full haptic suits and chairs and you, you know, you, moving treadmills that you're walking around in your virtual space and you're actually in your apartment somewhere and you can order a pizza, you know, from your virtual avatar and have it delivered to your house. And, you know, you never leave. Doesn't so it's sound like it's that far into the future. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, like no, next week. 2040. Um, so it, it's, it's this, billionaire who invented the technology he dies and in his will he creates uh he says he essentially created an easter egg in the game if you find the easter egg you'll get his fortune so the entire book is about these people going and searching for the easter egg in in the the game and the game has essentially become almost reality now for many many people but it's just chock full of like 80s video game references sci-fi references like D D stuff it's the ultimate geek fest essentially but it's just a really really good story um not only did i read it but then i listened to it narrated by will wheaton just to up the geek oh, wow <laughs> and it, it just just loved it to the point where i finished it and i went on ernest klein is the author by the way i went on and, and read his next book called armada which mm -hmm. is um if you're familiar with the movie the last starfighter where the kid's playing the video game and he gets actually recruited to like fly a uh starfighter in a far off galaxy it's the same principle where except there's been this huge government conspiracy to basically train the human race how to fight aliens via video games because they knew we were getting invaded like 60 years ago so yeah just awesome tropey pop culture what uh, what year were you born just shannon 75 okay yeah i just read ready player one again for the third time and uh yeah. Such a great book. I might read it one more time right before I go and watch the movie. I highly recommend listening to it too. Uh, Will Wheaton yeah, does a great well, job. I, I don't actually read books. I, <laughs> nice. I've got like 300 some books on my Audible account. Yeah. I'm with you. Been a proud member since 2001. Back when my MP3 player only had 32 megs of space. <laughs> yes. My Rio. That's, I had to download the book in parts to, to listen to it. <laughs> so Zach, what you got? Um, so I'm actually, I mean, I, I went through a, I got kind of go through phases with reading. Um, and so I was reading some, uh, I usually like nonfiction. I'll, I'll read like three, four books of informational stuff and then I'll kind of binge on some fun stuff. And right now it's, it's fun stuff season. So, um, 
I am reading uh, Night Shift by Stephen King, which is nice. kind of a collection of like 20 short stories. It's really fun because you can just sit down and read through a whole story in, you know, 40 minutes or so. Is, there's it, some... uh, is Lawnmower Man in that? Yep, that's the next one on my list. Speaking I just of finished... virtual reality, yeah. I just finished uh, the one right before that, so I'll probably get around to that one today. Nice. Uh, that's it, it's an it's a really great book. Um, okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying that, and I also uh, have a different book that I'll, I'll post that one next week. But I know I talked about uh, Richard Pernecki before. Who, mm-hmm. if you guys aren't familiar with him, you should be. It's this dude that moved into Twin Lakes area of Alaska and built a cabin and lived out there for like 20 years by himself. And he was in a, just a really cool guy uh really good i mean the hinges and stuff that he built for his i mean he was he was a craftsman um but uh just a nice i actually keep that one next to the bed because it's like the nicest thing you can read before you go to bed is just some dude talking about like nature and timber framing and so i'll i'll put that one up noted that that dick prinicky was the original youtuber too it's like he filmed it he actually brought a camera with him up there and yeah. filmed the building of the whole thing. Yeah, there's a three hour. I know we'd mentioned it. I'd mentioned it before, but there's like a three hour video. There's like a one hour documentary somewhere. And then somewhere else, there's like a three hour video of all of his footage and stuff. But this book that I'm reading, I get the name of it. Um, is it the one written by his friend? Yeah, he yeah. Uh, he never actually really wrote a book. This is kind of a collection of his journal entries. Um. Let me see if I can find the name of it. That's a perfect segue into Zach forging me a timber slick. <laughs> yes. Which, <laughs> where did it go? Oh, it's called One Man's Wilderness, an Alaskan Odyssey. So, awesome. Uh, yeah. Sounds like a fun one. Cool. Well, uh, Zach, since you're talking, why don't you uh, give us your favorite tool of the week? Um, so... This week, I am going to pick my uh, Isotunes, uh, their little earbuds, and they are actually OSHA approved, which is nice. I spend a lot of time behind very loud tools doing metalwork, grinding and cutting and stuff, and uh, they're really nice. They're small. You can pull them out of your ear. They're not uncomfortable like the, the, uh, what do you call this style? Like the headphone the over the ear stuff the over the ear stuff is great but after after like an hour or so of wearing them my ears hurt and i don't like them so the earbuds are really nice yeah um, humidity's not fun either when you're you what's that the humidity and the heat's not fun either when your whole ear is covered like that yeah it's absolutely in there zach do you have the pro version or the the cheaper one i have the cheaper one i have both but i like the cheaper version I like they're the cheaper just, one too. The, the the battery life is a little limiting. They, I I don't have an issue with it because I'm usually not wearing them all day. I mean, I'll I'll wear them in the shop for you know an hour at a time, and then if I go to the gym or something, but I just I just plug it in next to my uh, phone at night. So if I'm right. using them a lot, but yeah, I like I like the lesser expensive ones just because they're a little bit smaller and more compact. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you you know you're a hand tool person when your kids think that your uh, your handsaw is too loud. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you threaten them. You wait till I start chopping mortises. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Well, what you got, Shannon? 
Uh, probably, and I'm glad that you say this week because that, yeah, um, probably my fretsaw because I've been doing, um, I'm building a, like a Chippendale style mirror for the hand tool school. And I've been sawing out the, the, the ears of the, of the mirror. So really intricate fret work. And, uh, I have that fancy new concepts fret saw that I've like tricked out with a cocoa below handle. And it's mm. just awesome. It's just, it's a lovely lovely saw and it's one of those one of those new the new realm of boutique tools that you know a lot of them you look at them and go it's it's eye candy and you know yeah there's some vintage ones that'll do just as good a job this one no i have not met a fret saw that cuts as well as this thing so it's it's the real deal i love using it interesting but you, been... you've got to love having a, a saw that looks like it's made from a bridge yeah <laughs> yeah I've been eyeing one for a long time. I just haven't pulled the trigger. Yeah, it's this one. The, like the birdcage dealy up here. And is, that, is that a titanium one? Um, is it titanium? I think it is. It's gray. I, I think it is. Yeah, not the red ones there, aluminum. Yeah. But the key of yeah. this, and, and I my original new concepts frets all was like the first run. It had the old adjusters and the old handle. They've updated the handle. They've updated the adjusters. Um, but when you trick it out with the coca below handle, the weight becomes perfect. It's so incredibly perfectly weighted and balanced that it's it's a great tool. So it has to be a coca bolo. Got it. Well, it's not coca bolo <laughs> anymore. It's I think they're using mesquite now because coca bolo is a CITES listed species, and the price went up through the roof. Yep. Yep. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I'm going to give mine with a caveat. Uh, so I'm. Uh, restoring a uh, number four, a Stanley number four smoothing plane. Um, and I wanted to put a better iron in it. So I bought a Hawk plane iron and it's great. It's thicker than the, than the old Stanley irons, but uh, out of the box, it took forever to flatten the back. Really? But, Hawk? Yeah. Hawk. Yeah. About, wow. yeah, about, uh, I'd say three quarters of an inch, an inch. Um, below the, the edge of the tool, there was a big spot that I had to get through that, I mean, took, I mean, I went through, I mean, I started at like 300 grit paper and went up to 1200, um, hmm. to flatten it. And it took me like two hours. I would have sent that back to Ron. <laughs> I, I think he, he probably would have, probably would have no questions asked said, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Here's a better one. Really? But, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's flat now, and it's and it's sharp. Yeah. So, <laughs> cool. How about you, James? Well, I have to go with the the Veritas backsaw, um, particularly the the one they call the uh, their their car their crosscut carcass saw. Um, and, uh, Redundant. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> they, they also have their their uh, their rip saw carcass saw, which is uh, yeah. <laughs> Now we're talking mythical beasts. No, I have to say, you know, for the money, um, they are they're the, the the saw that I recommend because they're they're you know they're not the best on the market, but you you can't beat them for the price uh, for a new for a new back saw. It's shocking. just yeah, and they, they work fantastically. I mean, they they cut just like any other saw, <laughs> um, and they're they're comfortable. At least I like them. You know, some people have a if you have a smaller hand, they're not as comfortable, but. Or if you have like a Shannon hand, <laughs> yeah, the handles are a bit small for me. But 
right. But yeah, that's that's the saw. That's my 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 go-to saw at the bench. And uh, you know, one of these days I'll probably spring for the, spring the money and, and get one that's better. But I don't. I, I can honestly say it probably won't cut any better. It'll just feel better in my hand. <laughs> well, that's part of it. Yeah. So have you have you painted the back of that Veritas saw blue? <laughs> yeah, I should do that. I should do that. It'd be fun. <laughs> nice. Cool. Well, that's about it for this week. You have uh, squandered another perfectly good hour listening to uh, Creators Collective. I almost said car talk. <laughs> uh, Let me pull out my Harvard accent. <laughs> yes. I want to say a huge thank you to our patrons on Patreon, uh, particularly uh, Make, Build, Modify, Master None, and Debbie Brook. Uh, you guys have been helping us out and keeping us going. Thanks for thank that. You. If any of you want to have your uh, comments and your questions answered live, you can join us in the live chat every Thursday at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time. And I look forward to seeing you there. So that's about it for this week. And until next time, see ya. Hey, and, thank, and thanks, Shannon, for coming on. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Now, now bye. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for listening to the Creators Collective. We publish weekly on Thursdays in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can follow us on social media pages everywhere at Creators Collective. We're also live streaming every week on Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Just look up the YouTube channel to join in on the fun of the live chat and get your questions answered live. And until next time, keep on creating.